Welcome to the NLA Leadership Academy, presented by the National Leaderology Association, where we explore the art and science of leadership and elevate leaderology to empower individuals and cultivate thriving organizations. Every episode of this podcast features a distinguished member of our esteemed community sharing their unique perspectives on leadership. So prepare to be enlightened with valuable insights and empowering strategies. It's time to take back leadership. This is the NLA Leadership Academy. This episode is about change. We call it Change Happens Anyway. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Fusey. As a leader, when you're faced with a situation or circumstances where you have to make some anticipated change or changes are already happening and you have to react, what do you do? You can't stop change from happening. So now what? Remember, change creates fear. Because of uncertainty, you must deal with people's fears to be effective. What is change? From dictionary.com, it says change to make the form, nature, content, future course, etc. of something different from what it is or from what it would be if left alone. So let's look at this difference. There are really two types of change. The first one is anticipated change. That's where a predictable or foreseeable, it's some kind of change that's planned for, like a new model car or a new Apple phone or a new something, right? We can anticipate these kind of changes. The second type of change is called a reactionary change. This is an unpredicted, unforeseen change that causes some kind of response. I used to use the asteroid that came and hit the earth and killed all the dinosaurs. Now, it's just as easy to use COVID. So when we talk about change, change will also happen in two different ways. Change will be either incremental or dynamic. With incremental change, we usually are able to make the small adjustments necessary to adjust to the small changes in the situation or circumstances. As an example, a small change in the wording of a law for the next year, or a small change in a recipe by adding something. But then you have dynamic changes. With dynamic change, we're usually making larger, quicker, less subtle, and more significant changes, if not completely starting something new. Again, a good example of this is what we just went through with the COVID-19 where schools had to go on lockdowns and people had to wear masks and everything had to be cleaned. All of the changes that happen are still affecting us and will affect us for many, many years. These were reactionary dynamic changes. So how can people respond to these changes? So let's take this, if we put these combinations together of anticipated change or reactionary change and incremental or dynamic. So the first one, let's take anticipated change and incremental change. If you know it's coming, that's anticipated, and it's incremental, then the strategy to use is what's called tuning. 
that's preparing for and making minor adjustments before or during the change process. As an example, think about the old time radios where you had the big dials and knobs to turn and if you turn it just, just ever so slightly you would get better reception. That's what we talk about when we talk about tuning. The next type of change would be a reactionary incremental change. In a reactionary incremental change, we try to adapt, making some kind of adaptive changes to cope with the differing conditions, uh, circumstances, during or after changes have taken place. So imagine you're out camping. It's a beautiful sunny day, and then suddenly some clouds come over, and the, the it starts to rain, and you realize that we're going to have to make some changes we're going to have to adapt to the weather and so now you might build a bigger fire or put a, extra covers on your tent or something that you're adapting to that change and it's reactionary based on the weather the third type of change is an anticipated dynamic change when it's an anticipated change but it's going to be dynamic and a significant amount of change we do what's called reorienting. When you do reorienting, you're preparing for a significant change in paradigm, direction, or purpose. So your company is now swallowed up by a big conglomerate, and now you have to adjust to their way of doing things. You may have to reorient what your job is. You may get a different type of job. You may have to have a different schedule. You're going to have to change your routine. That is reorienting. So as you reorient, it's a dynamic kind of change, and sometimes that takes longer to deal with. And last but certainly not least is a reactionary dynamic change. This is where things have to be recreated. You're restarting from remnants or forming something new. You're developing a completely new different form, strategy, product, service, this recreation is how you deal with reactionary dynamic change. I don't have to tell you about all of the changes that happen due to COVID-19. Think about all the businesses that went out of business but now are building back, doing something differently. Think of all the businesses that started uh, or really recreated themselves, DoorDash, any kind of delivery system, Amazon, all of these types of companies that recreated themselves to adjust for COVID-19. So when we talk about these types of changes, what are some leader strategies for adapting or dealing with this change? The first one is what's called sensing. So when you're doing what you're doing, you kind of sense that things are happening. In the early days of COVID, we kind of knew there was something happening coming out of China. We weren't sure what it was. And then people started looking at it. That's when you start assessing your environment is in the sensing mode. The next step is communicating information. After assessment, how do you get information to the right place? Do you call people? Do you email? What is happening where you start letting people know this is coming? It can be an advertising program. 
Think about the new Apple phones as they're coming out. You can order them. They're coming. It's happening, but you can't quite get one yet. Then you go to decision making. What decision making parameters should be instituted and at what level? That's highly dependent on the type of change. Is it reactionary? Is it not reactionary? Is it anticipated? Is it incremental? Is it dynamic? Uh, some of these things are going to require different decisions at different levels. Next, you have to communicate the instructions. What is the most effective way to disseminate instructions? How are you going to get information out about what the change is, what we need to do, how you're going to do it? The next strategy is what's called stabilizing. How will you maintain internal stability while adapting to the change element? What's going to, what did we do in COVID when people didn't know? Everybody ran out and bought toilet paper. Well, if they had been thinking about it, they should have gone out and bought masks or something else. But toilet paper? Oh, well. We did what we thought we needed to do at the time. And then we get into coping actions. Based on stabilization, how things started to settle down, how things started to normalize, um, what methods did we use to cope? So again, uh, how did you deal with COVID? How did you deal with uh, being at home or uh, the people that have children at home and have to deal with schools and teaching their children? That was a big factor. And all of those things are coping actions. Everything that people did to deal with COVID are coping actions. The very next one is what's called feedback. Based on the results, based on what modifications happened, based on what the results were from the event or the change, we get feedback. And was the change effective? Was it something we needed? Uh, is, is this a better service or product of something? That feedback is going to determine whether we continue to do it or don't continue to do it. Or are we going to make the same mistake again? I'll be interested to see what the feedback is when we finally get done with COVID and have to work through it uh, in the future. So some of those strategies are, are used, but will people resist change? Yes. The answer is yes. People resist change. And what does that look like? There's three different ways people resist change. There's individual resistance, group resistance, and organization-wide resistance. So let's talk about individual resistance. First, a lot of the change, a lot of the resistance is based on fear. It's a threat to the individual routine. There's fear of losing something of value. There's also fear of losing power or influence if they have to go to something different. There's fear of assumption of not working to the optimum levels. Maybe they're feeling that they can't do their job right because now they have to do it from home. Maybe they feel like they shouldn't have to come to the office because they can work better from home. There's fear of being exploited. There's fear that members will not be provided uh, necessary training and education required of a new system. There's also fear because of no perceived need. Why are we making these changes? Does this really necessary? So those are the different types of individual resistance. And a lot of it is fear-based because fear is from the unknown. 
Um, if we don't know what's happening, we don't have enough change, then we are going to have more fear. The second type is group resistance. Same reasons for individual resistance, plus the human need to belong. And there is a threat to establish group norms. People get comfortable in their groups. People get comfortable in themselves, in their groups, in their teams. They like to have a routine. They're used to seeing people. Just think about some of the holidays, 4th of July, Christmas, Thanksgiving, uh, New Year's. A lot of these surges in COVID were because of people getting together, even though they knew it probably wasn't a good idea. But that's why we did it. And the more cohesive the group, the more resistance you can anticipate. So if you're in an organization and you're trying to make change and you have a very cohesive group, plan on a little more resistance from that group. The third resistance factor is organization-wide resistance. How much time is this going to take? What are our traditions we're changing traditions. We can't have a different color uniform. We can't have a different type of flag. What is the organizational design? Uh, are we more flat? Are we more uh, siloed? So all of these have an influence on how much resistance you experience in trying to make the changes. So I know you're sitting there saying, okay, Chris, you're a doctor of education. Uh, you've told us what the problem is. How do we fix this? What do we do? What are some strategies for overcoming resistance or changing and adapting? What are some strategies for implementing major change? So help us out here. Okay, that's what we're going to get into next. First of all, let's talk about leadership strategies for overcoming resistance to change and adaption. First thing we need to do is demonstrate and communicate a real and urgent need for the change. Let people know, hey, we need to do this. There is a real need to do this. And then train people for increased knowledge, skills, and ability levels to prepare for the change. If you're bringing in a new machine, you're bringing in a new policy, you're bringing in a new uh, procedure that you're going to start working on, people need to be prepared for that. You can't just say, okay, here's the change, fix it. Then the next thing you need to do is you need to use proper decision-making model to make the change as effective as possible. A lot of people don't realize that there are many different ways to make decisions in groups. And if you diagnose that wrong and you use the wrong method for making that decision, then you're going to have a problem. But that's a topic for another podcast. We'll get to that another time. So. The fourth thing you want to do with uh, strategies for overcoming resistance to change and adaption is you want to be a role model. If the leader doesn't accept the change, why should the followers? If the leader doesn't walk the walk, why should anybody else? And then you need to use some motivation techniques and motivation with consequences also to bring and enforce some of these changes. Frequently, people are uncomfortable. They know that something is going to be different. There's fear of them losing something. And sometimes you can't just motivate people. You have to force people to do things. That's where law enforcement has to deal with this a lot, is that people will be asked to change their routine or do something different, and they may not want to do it. 
and they may have to be forced to do it. So those are some of the strategies for making uh, adaptions and changes. But what about strategies for implementing major change? This is going to be a little bit different. Again, establish a shared sense of urgency. Let people know we have to get out of here. The building's falling. It's an earthquake. Move, run, you know, something. You have to say that there's some reason why people need to get out, do something, make a change, buy more toilet paper, whatever it is, right? But you also need to create a guiding coalition of change agents. If you want a lot of people to do something, you need three or four main people that will be a change agent. Find how to make things change. Frequently when I go into organizations, I find one or two people who have enough positional power or referent power that others will listen to them and do what they want them to do. So that's going to have to happen. You need change agents. The third thing is develop a clear vision and strategy. People want to know where they're going. People want to know what's happening and why they need to do something. Give it to them. Show them what they need to do. Show them why they need to go there. This can be functional or dysfunctional. There's many examples in history of dysfunctional vision and strategy. And there's many even more uh, examples in history of clear vision and strategy for a positive productive purpose. Then you need to effectively communicate the change vision. Tell people what's happening. Spread the word. Get it out. Think of the advertising programs that are done by a lot of the big organizations. The new Coke, the new Pepsi, the new whatever. When people are changing things in industry, they get out that information. And then number five, you have to empower broad-based action. You have to get people who are willing to take a risk on something that's new, willing to take a risk on something that's different. This is the new blank. Let's try it. This is the new way we're going to go through. Let's try it. The new. So you do want people to be risk takers in the fact that they are willing to try something new. And if they know that it has been well thought out, by their leaders and they're bought into the vision and the strategy, then they've had that communicated to them. They're willing to take that risk. The next thing you want to do is you want to generate and celebrate some short-term wins. So somebody buys the new whatever and you say, hey, how is that? Oh, it's great. I love it. Wow, that's cool. We've had a hundred sales. And then Next thing you know, you have a 1,000 sales and then 10,000 sales. So generate and celebrate those short-term wins. Let people know, hey, it's working. Keep going. Come on. And that's encouraging. That's how we encourage people to continue. And if they continue to get encouragement, then that positive encouragement, which, again, is another podcast. We'll get to that one later, too. That positive encouragement is way better than them just having done one thing. After that, you want to consolidate the gains and produce more change. So get more people showing these short-term wins. And you say, see, look, it's not just me. It's everybody. All of these 20,000 people have sold their 100 blanks, whatever it is that they're doing, right? Right. 
And then if, you, if it involves using a new approach or a new process or a new procedure, anchor those new procedures and approaches into the culture, into the values of the culture. Um, Gallo Winery is very good at doing this. If you ever look at Gallo Winery's um, culture, they're very good at bringing in a lot of uh, their values into their products. And, and you'll hear that in their advertisements. It's actually very fun to watch. So when we put all this together, change is going to happen anyway. How you deal with it, whether it's anticipated change, reactionary change, incremental change, or dynamic change, you can follow some steps for each one of those. You can be prepared to deal with that change. Remember, people will resist change, and you have to understand how to deal with that resistance. But if you use the, the strategies for adaption and you use the strategies for dealing with overcoming resistance uh, to change, you should be successful. A couple quotes I want to put into practice from Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, who said this in 1749, life belongs to the living, and he who lives must be prepared for changes. Another great quote that goes along with this is from Gail Shee. She's an American writer. And she says, if we don't change, we don't grow. If we don't grow, we aren't really living. Change is happening anyway. I'm Dr. Chris Fusey. For more information, you can go to our website at www.cmfleadership.com.